0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business marketing and personal growth to help you drive your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest, Jackson Janigam, is currently the vice president and GM of the direct-to-consumer business at the Clorox Company, which includes full P&L responsibilities, supply chain fulfillment, Soup to nuts. This guy does it all. I'm sparing you a lot of details on that because it gets real techie. And prior to Clarks, Jackson was the chief marketing officer for e-commerce startup Box, where he oversaw growth, performance, media and brand. And in 2018, Jax was named to the Forbes CMO Next 2018 list. Which identified the top 50 CMOs, redefining the role and shaping the future. And previous roles, Jackson was the head of digital for Chipotle, responsible for leading all digital marketing. And I'm sure, he ate his body weight in burritos uh, daily. There, we'll talk about that. And he has a long resume, and we're gonna get into that. We're gonna unpack that and talk about how he got from where he was to where he is now. And personally, he serves on the board of directors for Goodwill International as well as Peace Direct and an advisor for three high-growth startups: Dynamic Signal, Bounce X, and Miles. So we're going to get into it. I'm thrilled to welcome Jackson. Welcome to the podcast, my man. Thanks, brother. Good to be here, man. Awesome. So we are recording this. We'll do a little time capsule. Today is the second day of October in 2020. Last night, 1 a.m., our president and first lady were diagnosed with coronavirus. It is crazy. So when this episode airs uh, in a few weeks, we'll look back and we'll we'll just kind of see what's happening here. Before we get into your career story Quick prediction on what the hell's happening in American politics. <laughs> I'm throwing a curveball. Uh, we're here. We're live. We're doing it. Yeah,
1: this. you did. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I like, come November, you know, I, I I follow it deeply. Um I you know, sometimes get disappointed by it, like many people, just because I think at least up ballot, right, on the presidential side, the election, we'll find out in, what, six weeks, uh, comes down to, what, seven states, and that's disheartening if you live in New York, right, down ballot, we can all still have an impact, but, you know, it's it's concerning and just frustrating that it's only seven states, give or take, that are really are going to decide the election, just given where it's shaking out, so, um, I, you know, a lot, four years ago, I thought, for sure. I thought one thing was going to happen, like many of us, and then the exact opposite happened. And I'm seeing the repeat. I'm seeing the media say the same thing. I'm seeing the media say the, say the same themes. Right. I'm seeing the exit polls and all the polling be almost identical. And I worry that the same thing is going to happen. So I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who are voicing their opinions right now and are going to go to the ballots and voice it that way. And,
0: you know, who knows, but uh, that's concerning a little bit, I think. Yeah. Just, just get on vote. So let's switch gears here and get back to you. You're the guest of honor today. Um, you have an incredible career. You've had an incredible career, some real high profile titles, uh, tons of responsibility on your shoulders, but it all had to start somewhere. Take us back. You know, we don't have to go into super details. We don't want to know. We we could assume what you did in college. But what did, <laughs> what, what, what did you study in university? And what were you kind of thinking when you were in school, what you wanted to do when you got out?
1: Well, uh, yeah. So I, I swear a lot. So I'll try to limit you could, it, Adam, you could curse but, it. You
0: could curse here. Where all right. Are. Perfect. I was- You could be like the Howard Stern show, man. Minus ah, a few perfect. things here and there. Yeah. Minus
1: a few things. Yeah. Uh, dude, I was a shit student. I was never a good student. I didn't like homework. Um, I, I obviously believe in education, think it's important. I have two daughters, five and 16 months old. So that'll be important for them But I was not a good student period. Uh but I did uh, after a few majors and after basically an academic probation for a couple of years uh, and on the verge of being kicked out uh, I Me figured too, it out. You too. Okay so you and I share a lot in common. I you know I, I have a whole other, we talk about the education system and what the parameters and, and benchmarks are for what success is and what's not. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. gaps there, at least in the US. But um, I, I, and anyway, I ended up being a sociology major. I majored in race relations, which is a very passionate um, topic of mine, still is, always has been. Being a minority, has grown up in all different environments um, and standing out in a lot of different ways, uh, son of immigrants and so forth. But I would say that I didn't kind of follow, I, would, I didn't want to be a teacher and I didn't want to be a social worker. So I knew like, really, what else are you going to do, you know, for the most part from a traditional standpoint, sociology. But um, I mitered in communications, um, I figured I had to do something more practical and fell into a job, despite a crappy GPA. Actually, Adam, I took the LSAT because I thought I had to. My parents are good old, you know, brown Sri Lankan uh, parents who like, you know, be a lawyer, a or banker, or doctor, something, something traditional. Yeah, something so they could be
0: proud of, right? So they exactly, can brag about it. Right? their friends, yeah. right? They exactly. got to brag about Jack.
1: That's exactly right. That was the only reason, right? So I took the LSAT, bombed it. um I think I got like something one fifty something. Got waitlisted to two schools, accepted to none. It was the best thing that could have happened to me, only because nothing. Yeah, I think so don't have to do
0: any of this shit. I don't oh, go do anywhere. You how many can't. people
1: do you know i know plenty of people who went to law school got the degree are in debt and left don't practice law at all and regret it right it's unbelievable
0: um, how much law school costs my wife's an attorney and, and finally, uh, yeah it's, i get it it's insane so i i didn't do that
1: i uh, barely graduated just uh, 2.97 gpa i'm like well i'm not going to grad school either which i'm good with i never did um, and i fell into pr man like my uh, attorney and my big brother and fraternity was like dude you like throwing parties so i was social chair and then president i'm like yeah i love throwing parties Like you should get into pr and Adam, I tell you this, yeah, <laughs> For the first four years of my job, I didn't throw one effing party, man. Like I, I did faxes. I was 2000, right? When I started. Faxes. 20, For all, 20, all those youngsters
0: 20, out there, we used to have to put a piece of paper <laughs> into a machine and send it over the phone line.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. And I was like, I was calling journalists, and media. I, I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, making 23,000 a year in Portland. Um, I was partying a lot, right? With my friends, just trying to figure it out didn't have any kind of, uh, you know, I was ambitious, but I didn't know where I wanted to go and how I wanted to do it. Um, yeah, I did that for a few years, and I ended up on the T-Mobile team at the same age. moved to Seattle. That's W.E., right? Uh, yep, that's right. And uh, that was awesome, dude, because if you remember, I'm going to age myself for your crowd, but you know the T-Mobile sidekicks. Remember those? Back
0: in the day. Was that the horizontal phone?
1: Yeah, and it flipped yeah. up the screen, and it was like an every hip cool. video. I, oh, I, still,
0: I still say the Motorola Star Tech is the best phone ever created.
1: Yeah, that two-way was sick. Yeah, the two-way and the awesome. cycling were like the devices of hip-hop and athletes and, and Hollywood. So um, built our name on that, and we did a lot of influencer marketing, and that kind of put me into Then I started throwing parties, ironically enough. Uh, I got to throw some parties and uh, work with like young talent and uh, influencers and you know we were also doing a lot in social media this is 2005 dude 2006 right so, so
0: you were friends with what's his face on myspace right yeah tom
1: yeah yeah tom? I, was doing, I was launching the uh, launch psychic on MySpace tom's my bro out.
0: dude
1: tom's kind of making this weird comeback like he gets referenced all the time in like social media memes and stuff um and, uh, that's when I, you know, we, we did some really cool things. So that, that time no one was doing social media marketing at them. So like, you know, Facebook was still private. Only if you're in high school or college, MySpace and friends are around. So yeah. no one knew there was no agencies. And we started launching T-Mobile sidekick on Twitter. We launched T-Mobile's account on Twitter. I created a Wikipedia page for them, gotcha. uh, helped launch them on MySpace, And then all of a sudden it blew up on me. I'm like, wow, this digital marketing, social media thing is, is something like, going it. on here. Yeah. And then, uh, the next four years, I, I figured out what I was going to do, and I moved to New York in the middle of a recession, right before the recession, 2008, like mm. July, recession hit in October. And like the, like an idiot I am in February of 2009, right, when everyone is like just trying to hold on to their job, I left a great job of nine years to go to another job uh, mm. and take, take a 10% cut on the salary. They're like, hey, everyone here is a 10% pay cut, so your salary is X, minus 10%. I'm like, okay, mm. well, I'm going to do it. Um, because I everyone told me not to. Everyone's like, You're crazy. You're gonna be the first one fired and say like, everyone's losing jobs after I. I'm like, Yeah, but I'm not happy and I gotta be happy. And, now, and is, I know it this- that, is
0: it that is it that the ultimate, like, you know, you don't know that super early on. I mean to cut you off there, but like, is it that one no, of those things that you, you don't know early on, right? Because early on you're taking a job because you feel like you have to, you feel yep. like you have to do something, you have to work. But it's not until you get a couple rolls in then you realize, you know, how important happiness no. is.
1: Dude. Yeah, for so much. Right? And obviously happiness, as you know, is, is a lot of things that uh, influence that, right, beyond work. But work is a big part of it, especially if you're single and you're living in New York, dude. Like, you know how it is. Like, work and your person are the same, right? It's very hard to separate. Yeah, right?
0: when you're, you're single, different. when you're out there dating, you're in a major market, uh, right? You're hanging yeah. out. You're young. You don't got annoying little kids, Freaking. Bothering you all day? I yeah, you're it, hustling. You're those hustling. are the good, those are the good old days. Ah, oh, dude, my thirties in New York was just that was, was awesome. before that was before social media when people could capture everything on their phones, right? That's where right. you could get away. That's where you can get away with some shit. Yeah, so I tell mean, you, The I'm camera, off. the camera phone ruined everything. Cameras yeah, it ruined. Did. They ruined fun. Cameras <laughs> ruined
1: fun. That should be your next podcast, man. Cameras ruined, <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> Cameras ruined fun. uh Very true, though, man. Very true, and and uh, but at least I got to partake in that a little bit, and. Dude, I was hustling. I was doing my thing, loving the agency life, even though it was a risk. And that was the best thing I could have done, man, because I went from tech to CPG. So I worked on Old Spice, and when I joined Old Spice, it was before the big campaign. And for right. those of you who don't remember, Old Spice used to be like a dead brand. like yeah, it was like a, yeah, a
0: like it was a legacy band. It's oh. what your it's what your grandpa smelled like. Yep, yep. Number three in the market. Shave, yeah, yeah. It was boring,
1: and then but it was still Whiting, a big
0: CPG company, right? Because they had a demo. P&G. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And, and they, they could sell product, but it was no not relevant at all. And then P and G, uh, White and Candy was our creative agency. I was on. Uh, Influence marketing agency, they came up with the idea, the guy on a horse, and we did the 200 videos, and it crushed it. That was it. He's got
0: he's got a great story too. The guy on the horse too, and I and I'm going to butcher the story here, but I think he was like a struggling actor, and he was like the the former last guy, player. right? He was like the last guy to come in for the for the audition, and like I, there's a whole story behind him. So which is cool. he yeah.
1: yeah, so he Isaiah Mustafa spent a lot of time with him. He was a former football player, played uh, the Broncos, I think, and the Seahawks. Um, didn't have much of a career. Went into acting. Uh, obviously, very charismatic, good looking guy, and and had a great career ahead of him. But he tried out actually for the first time and didn't get it. But right. then he begged his way in, and he called Jake Plummer, who is a former Broncos quarterback, and asked him for advice. And he tested it on his voice machine. And right, he came tested his voice. The, right, that's yeah. not his,
0: like he puts on a an act, like a, an accent. He 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 changes his voice a little bit yeah. for that role. That's like right. D- and, it, yeah. and he went back in a
1: second time. And it's a great dude. It's a great metaphor for life, right? Like went back in a second time, crushed it. And not only did he get it, like now, I mean, he became that guy. I mean He had all these things open up as a result mm-hmm. of that role. That's and amazing. The it's amazing. Like- it's around.
0: It's like the, uh, the 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 not the Cuervo guy, the most interesting man in the world, right? Oh, like, yeah, 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 similar, yeah, It's a similar, similar, similar. thing too, all right? So so now now you're like mid career, right? You're like you're you're, you're getting ahead this 31. thing. You're, build, you're building a, right? You're you're building up a rep there. Like, let's pause for a second there. Like, were you starting to manage people? Did you have a team underneath you? Let's talk a little bit about that. What was that first experience when you were managing a team? Like some <sighs> some some fuck ups, right? Some like all right, I got this kind of thing where you're like, how did you learn how to lead people?
1: I had a lot of fuck ups, man. I just, I still <laughs> fuck up, to be honest, man. I'm fucking more than I, I do things right, but that's part of the experience. My first time was actually a Ed we in like Seattle. I think when I went to T-Mobile Jam, man, one person I'll never forget. I was so I was 26 and it was my birthday. I'll never never forget this, man. And I invited a bunch of my friends and invited some people from work, including my new direct report, just started for me like a week before. I was pretty drunk with my friends, and I ne- I kept saying, "Hey, this is a Kirsten, my direct report." I kept saying it like a jackass oh. at, at my birthday party, And then. Later on, she told me, like, yeah, it's kind of awkward. You kept saying that. I'm like, dude, I, it was so, like, I don't know what I was saying now. I'm like, I would never introduce anyone no. like at the time. I was just so excited. To yeah, now you say this someone. is my team
0: member. This is our yeah, team. Yeah, colleague. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yeah be PC.
1: It was so stupid. It was just so, like, what was I thinking? I was young and, and drunk and excited. So I'm sure I'm sure everyone was like, what is he, what is he saying? But, so that was an interesting learning for me. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, early, early on, was there that one person that you looked up to, like, as a mentor that you really learned from?
1: Yeah, uh, actually, he's a good friend of mine now. He lives in New York now, too. His name is uh, Rowan. He was uh, the lead on the team. He recruited me to come to T-Mobile. At the time, I was leaving Microsoft, working on Microsoft mobile phones, which Microsoft had a big budget. You know, They're doing a lot of stuff with mobile phones, and T-Mobile, at the agency side, at least, wasn't huge. It was like a third of the budget, small team, and I had to move to Seattle, and I was nervous about that. My first mm-hmm. move for a job. And Since then, I've moved like, several times for my job, and uh, he told me in an interview. he's like, Jackson, I've lived all around the world for my job. I've moved around for my job. I've left things behind, people behind. And I could tell you, as scary as nervous it is, it, you know, if you feel good about the people on the team, and the role, it's the best thing you can do for your career. Even if it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. that learning, that experience, you jump off that cliff a little bit with a, uh, you know, a little bit of a gut uh, that's gonna work out okay one way or mm-hmm. the other. And I did it, man. And he was right. He convinced me, and then ever since then he became a mentor to me.
0: I love it. And like trust, trust in your gut is something that Oh, dude. Oh man, it's 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 everything. And then once you get yeah. to a stage in life where because listen, as you and I both know, as as fathers, parents, um, you need to rely that with so many external factors in the world and so many things out of our control, you learn how much to trust your gut, mm-hmm. right? And I always say my gut's about 95%, right? Like yeah. sometimes that far, sometimes I shit some stuff out, right? <laughs> and, and, it, and it's not so good if I want to use a metaphor, but you really have to, you really have to trust your gut. So now we're going mid-career, um, you know, you spent some time out West. Uh, how did Chipotle come around? I might be skipping a step or two. That's no, all but, good. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I went to another agency for five years, built a digital marketing practice working with clients like Taco Bell, Papa John, Starbucks, uh, Jordan Brand, and Chipotle was hiring for a head of digital. Um, and they saw that experience. I wanted someone who came from either agency or in house, which it doesn't always happen, right? A lot of times right in-house, they only want in-house experience, which is why I always tell agency people like, think about that, <sighs> you know. But I got lucky, the hiring manager came from CAA, came from agency life. He's like, mm-hmm. I like that pace, and I want someone with some QSR background. And who's deep on digital, which I, you know, I feel like you, I'm check, an OG. you check
0: the boxes there, right? Yeah. It was the right place at the right time with the right experience. Yeah.
1: But you know, Adam, I hustle my way into it, man. This is a learning for any of you younger, for anyone, any age. Actually,
0: yeah. Tell us how, how you folks. did this, man.
1: So I, 15 years of agency at this point, right? It is hard. Uh, to go from agency in house, you know that. Unless your client, you know, takes you, it's just it's hard, you don't get those looks, right? Even if you're you can be the best person, but it's you just don't get like the a, looks, it's almost
0: like a stigma, right? It's almost oh, like a it it's the, Like it's like the brand people, all right. When I went from agency to Amex, I remember i just to pause for a second there, people were looking at me, they're like, An agency guy. This guy doesn't yeah. have his B school degree. Like, yep, I remember yep. my first my first day at Amex, three people came up to me within the first hour, like, Oh, nice to meet you. And I've been working like 10, 11 years at that point, and they go, what B school did you go to? Not what company did you come? To? Like, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? And then when they once once they found out that I went to a SUNY SUNY Buffalo and I had like a two six GPA and I and I have the same job as him, actually making more because I, I yeah. anyway. So we did. So so, so no, for right. those that don't know, like we talk about this too the agency background desirable. Cause it's, there's a hustle there. There's a, there's a, there's a sense of urgency. There's a speed and also the ability to multitask yes. and bring people together. So that's a very attractive trait. And when a hiring manager sees these traits and can apply them to the in-house, which is typically a little, a little bit slower pace. But the other thing is you still have to build and develop those interpersonal relationships in there. So you have this hiring manager that's on your side.
1: Yeah. And dude, also, by the way, um, is there any job that trains you better to communicate? I know when I talk to agency people, they over communicate. They're like project-managed shit even if they don't want to. Like They're just great communicators, man, because well, you well, have to your clients.
0: What, what I learned, the number one thing that I always say that I learned in agency life that I applied as a recruiter is the concept of managing expectations. That is mm-hmm. a fundamental backbone to account management, whether you're in sales, biz dev, whatever you're doing, managing expectations. And I yep. learned that early on, and that you could apply yep. to everything. For sure.
1: So in this job, so I was an agency guy. I wasn't getting the looks from a recruiter. That internal recruiter, not external. So I saw it posted on LinkedIn. And, you know, this doesn't always happen. And uh, luckily, you know, sometimes LinkedIn shows who posted it. So I found the recruiter. I hit her up. I sent her a message after like a week of posting it. And I sent her like a long heartfelt. No, she responded. And then I sent another note as a follow-up. I never heard back from her. I'm like, okay. So about a month went by. And I'm like, fuck this. So uh, it said reports to head of integrated marketing. So luckily, Chipotle was relatively small. I found that guy. There's only one like, he's got to be the hiring manager. I hit him I up with you. a very long email. Yeah. And I said, here's why I'm a perfect fit. You know, blah, blah. Here's my skill set. So I basically pulled out the bullets of the JD and nothing. No response. He added me on LinkedIn, but no response.
0: Big, I know you saw me, motherfucker.
1: Yeah, yeah right? I, mean, I,
0: <laughs> I know you red, saw me.
1: If there was a red note, like I know he read. I know. For, and now retro, retrospect, he and I talked about it actually after you hired me. So. Ah, uh, three months go by, dude. So now I'm into January post, and September was when I started. So I had forgotten about the role, right? I've been looking aggressively. I had some issues come up with an uh, agency side. I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And, and you never want to get to this point, right? Where you're so unhappy, you wake up dreading going in. Luckily, that's only happened once. Mm-hmm. I, I need to get the fuck out. And then you make you start making bad moves. I was like, don't, don't. I was told this a long time ago, you know, don't run away from something, run to something. Even if what you're running away from is so bad, unless you're really feeling like, I mean, unless it's so bad where your, your mental health is at risk. But this wasn't there, but I just was unhappy. My ego took it and so forth. So four months went by, dude, and I'm like, no leads. And you know how this is in job search. You can go like four weeks, nothing. And then one day, five leads come in, right? right. So shit is how it out. works. So I got this call from Denver and I'm like, Denver, all right. But it's, it's unknown number. You know how this, when you're looking for a job, any unknown number, <laughs> I'm answering <laughs> this and the time it's like fucking spam, you know, salespeople. So I pick it up and I'm like, Hey, this is Adam from Chipotle. And I'm like, Oh, and I can meet you perk oh, up oh, my you're, voice you're, goes yeah. out there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Praxton, How may I help you? What can as I you, do? As you, as you put the beer down.
1: Yeah, so the long story short, sure, he's like, "Hey, I got your no for me. I'm sorry taking so long. We've been at the process. We had ten thousand applicants. I'm like Jesus,
0: this is when Chipotle was at that peak,
1: right before the food crisis." And he's like, "You know, we want to bring you in for interview." And it was like, you know, I, I must have interviewed twelve people two days in Denver, two different days in Denver over three months. And they told me this gauntlet. is
0: going to be a We're talking about
1: gauntlet. Oh, dude, brutal! They're like, be prepared. I'm like, okay, I'm prepared, but it was Chipotle, like, man. That to, was to the Brand. Rocky training
0: montage, right? You're yeah, like it. I did. <laughs>
1: I did. This is my Mr. T, right? And then uh, I ended up getting the job and they told me like, hey, my boss said, like, I saw your email. I didn't respond to you, but I forwarded it to HR. Uh, And to me, all of that is, Adam, is like, that was just hustle, man. Like I found, I I tracked it down. You know, it's a thin line between stocking and being over. Uh, Pers- aggressive. Persistence,
0: persistence is subjective, right? Like, exactly. Right. Like, and you have to figure out that balance of not being a, a stalker. But at the same time, it's your job search. And yep. anyone in HR and recruiting knows that you're going to get bombarded all day by follow-ups. But mm-hmm. it's about the tone the messaging and how you handle yourself.
1: Exactly right. Well said. And that's what happened there. And I got very lucky. And dude, within two weeks, I never, not once, Adam, I tell you this, had I gotten any in-house opportunities. even though I had a great resume, great clients, well-networked, 2 weeks in at Chipotle I literally had two job opportunities coming to me my first 2 weeks one from Subway one for uh, another one
0: I'm yeah, like wow they just they like tried, that they tried to coach you immediately once you started there and it came up yeah so so Chipotle like what what was the draw there for you man like what was like how did, mean- how, did, how did they hook you in I know you wanted to go in-house, right? And we were talking before about, like, you're getting to a stage in life where you're not jumping and making, like, real, like, emotional decisions. Like, what was a rational decision behind that decision?
1: It, it, was, it was three things. The role was exactly what I wanted. It was the right next step. It was headed digital. I was already doing digital agency side. It was a brand I loved and everyone loved, right? So it was yeah, iconic. it's a good brand.
0: Was that it before is. they were purchased by McDonald's?
1: Uh, after they divested, after right, so McDonald's they, yeah. divested them, yeah. And I would say, Adam, this is also learning, though. At that time in my career, I was just chasing sexy brands. Um, and I've learned yeah, this I mean, the hard way, right? It's just the name, right? The brand. And sometimes that works out, but a lot of times it doesn't, or a lot of times it's not as what you expected.
0: So this is, case is not where, always greener, right? Just because the grass looks greener from my side of the fence and your grass yep. looks shiny, right? And all well manicured doesn't mean shit. Well, you come over the fence, right? And there's piles of dog shit everywhere that <laughs> you can't see. Right. And how many people do you know? Like, I'd love to work. I'm not going to say any companies, this brand, this brand. And you meet with people from that brand, I'm like,
1: yeah, it's, you know, the, the the founder sucks, or like this happened over here. I'm like, wow, you know, so. You know, I, try, I don't judge anymore based on that. I judge on the hiring manager. Hiring manager is fucking everything. Even if you're a CEO of the board, it's everything, right? So in this case, it was the brand. It was the role. And then honestly, dude, it was – I knew I need to get in-house, but it was the opportunity to build something out at a brand that was well-known. So for instance, like my Jordan brand clients, This is Jordan brand, dude. Like, well, one of my favorite brands. I'm a sneakerhead. I mean, and they listen, were like
0: yeah, – like, I mean, there's no – more iconic brand. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they were like, wow, we're kind of jealous of you're you going to Chipotle. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Like, and I'm like, you're Jordan. Yeah. But Chipotle has got like a magic right now that no one else has. And people forget like before the food crisis, Chipotle was it, man. That was the effing brand. That was like yeah, Nileo people were moving brand, away yeah.
0: from the they were moving away from Subway. They wanted something more yeah. fresh, but the like the fast cash, right? Like, what was kind of that that in between, right? It was like that in between restaurant where it's still a good quality. You know, yep. the brand stood for good quality before the yep. the food situation. Exactly,
1: it was all about the product. The product insurance is dope, and uh, the, the so was was product leg.
0: Right? Branding the was clean, and the store cool. Right, the brand was minimal. The stores didn't were no, cool. It looked like a McDonald's. Right, it didn't look yep. like that shit. And they didn't do a TV, so there was also it's, a little bit of like this, like
1: magic, right? There was like you didn't really you see word of like, mouth. Yeah, yeah McDonald's, Burger cool. King, always on your TV. Chipotle, it was like, oh yeah, Chipotle is dope. Yeah, and it was like two thousand stores, not twenty thousand, at that time probably fifteen hundred. So yeah, dude, it was all those things that I was opportunity. Now, obviously, six months in the food crisis hit, <laughs> everything changed. But I learned more from that, Adam, than probably all the things I did. Right.
0: You know right. what I mean? So how, how long you were, that was out in, you are out in Denver, right? Cool city. Uh, no, uh, New no. York actually. I no, was in Denver here. a lot,
1: but they had a New York office. At the
0: time. Right. So, so how long did you spend there?
1: About a year and a half. Um, so I left about a year after the food crisis. I just didn't believe in the leadership at the time, which then eventually got switched out. They brought in Brian Nickel, who's an amazing CEO. But at that time, I just didn't believe they could get, get back for a lot of reasons.
0: So I know a little bit about the box story because I was following it when they were kind of emerging, but why don't you, why don't you fill us in how box kind of started and what drew you over there?
1: Yes, yeah, so a recruiter hit me up, and uh, they were like, "Hey, we got this opportunity at Boxed," and I had never heard of it. But I started talking to some friends, and it had this like vibes like 20, 2016, I
0: think. And they started twenty thirteen. What, what stage were they there? So three they years were, in. They had just
1: done the C round, just okay. finished the C round. So that's how they had the money to pay for a few more executives. They hired a CFO from Square and Intel. They hired a great chief merchandising officer from like Sam's Clubs. So they had a great team. But the four founders, as as you know, and as for your audience who doesn't know, came from uh, they started a called uh, a gaming company, sold to Zenga after a couple of years, made a little bit of money all former lawyers, almost all of them and and said F law. I don't want, you know, started their first job. Yeah, exactly. And one of them started their job like literally a month after the, the financial crisis. So he was like, I'm out of here. Like this isn't going to work after Lehman collapse. And, um, they started coming in the garage, like, you know, there's got to be a better way to, than what Costco is doing. This is before Costco launched e Like, we can do this. We can figure this out. So they launched in the garage and went from like 40000 to almost $100 million in three years. Like, they I'm crushed right. it. Um, and that's insane. when they brought me in. Oh, dude, it was insane. And they also did a little bit on, on doing things differently, right? So Chipotle, I always say, was value-driven, right? Uh, so driven by a value of food with integrity, food that you can believe in, right? You said the product. Box was values driven, right? It wasn't necessarily about one thing that we're going to do. It's like how we treat our people, how we treat the customer. We're going to go about this the right way. We're going to pay for people's college education for their kids. Yeah. We're going to pay for their weddings. We're going to we're going to refund you a tax on tampons that in ridiculous ways treated as a luxury in 29 states. So things like that were very different for the industry, and they created mm-hmm. a name for themselves as a result.
0: They were a disruptor. Do, mm-hmm. do us a, a quick, quick education check here. How do you define brand? What's your definition of brand?
1: That's a good question. I would say brand is what an organization or a person stands for, uh, not only in reality, but in perception, what they are, what they do, how they do it and why they do it. Right. So the why Simon Sinek is critical, but it's also how and what. um, And it has nothing to do with logos, aesthetics, packaging. That's all the output. So to me, it's what you do, how you do it and why you do it.
0: And how do you stand out and differentiate? Because that's what kind of right. triggered in this conversation for me. Because you're talking about box and how they differentiated internally and externally. Externally, they differentiated. Right, because they were the first, you know, big box e-com DTC, right? We're not mm-hmm. talking about one off Amazon, you yeah. know, and then we're talking about internally how they treated their employees differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and your employees are everything. I mean, you know this, right? When those employees feel part of the organization, oh. how much harder they work? How you feel part Great. of that family? Like, what was that feeling like at box? Like three years into yeah. the successful yeah. startup, the energy, the vibe. What was yeah. that like,
1: man? No, I've never been in a startup. Agency was a close and and that's exactly what everyone thinks. And why people go to startup? It was that. It was like a lot of autonomy. It was very personable. It was like a family, right? For better or worse, my family can also be fucking complicated at a workplace, right. right? But it was really just like personal, and there was this unique place where we needed to get to the next level, and everyone was bought in. Everyone wanted to see this thing grow and exit and have a good path. You know what we sold and what we did wasn't like that mind blowing, right? It was pretty simple. Unit economics were tough, but it was just, we were all part of it. We we're all in it um, to win it, and it was a really really cool vibe and experience. And to your point, you can't be customer first if you're not employee first. Think, think about it. How many times have been in an Uber, and even though it's, that's a commodity, those drivers are driving for Lyft, Via, Juno, right. you have a bad Uber experience, that's on Uber, not on that driver, right? Um, yeah, so like, relate that in, to Uber. Yeah, Absolutely. And that goes across anything. Even an Amazon or Box, where you never meet with or talk to a person, it's still that, that fucking, that, that shit comes to your door, and the detergent spilled on your baby food. That happened to me once. Can's broken. It, it, it doesn't matter what the reason is. That's boxed. That's, that's them. employees. It doesn't matter because, that
0: the FedEx guy freaking tripped over the box.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's... So how, how can you be consumer first, customer first, if you're not employee first? And I think yeah. Box figured that out.
0: And how long did you spend at Box before you jumped over to Clorox?
1: About two and a half years. Um, had some funding challenges and trying to figure out what the next step was. And that Forbes list came out. And it just felt like the right time to start exploring what the yeah, next man. thing could be. Um, so, yeah, I walked away from equity, man. I walked away from a good amount of equity. It was a tough decision.
0: That um, is tough. But you have to make was. those tough. But so what your, what your gut was telling you that this was the time. And sometimes you got to leave money on the table.
1: You do. I mean, people don't An realize that, right? And, and Chipotle is a great example. Dude, I took a 32% pay cut at Chipotle. Um, and I was coming from age side on base. To go to Chipotle. To go to Chipotle, to go in house. So I didn't mention this earlier. And I had my first kid on the way. And I was terrified. My wife was like, Are You sure you want to do this? I'm like, I think I need to go in house. I need that experience. I know it's a pay cut, but the bonus and stock coming up for it, that went underwater because of the food crisis. So in theory, I would have made more, but reality, I didn't, but it was the best thing I could have done. And
0: and let's, and let's pause on that for a second. Cause here's a lesson for a lot of young folks. And I have this conversation a lot, especially when I'm talking to junior to mid-level and these folks are going from their second to third job. Right. And a lot of them are so focused on the Uh, compensation versus the opportunity. And I beat it in over their heads. And I, and I say this to them, $10,000 difference in a job over the course of 26 paychecks minus taxes and everything is nothing. And I'm not here. I'm not saying that I'm not here to count your money. I'm not telling you how much money you need, but I want you to just put it in perspective. You can't look at a salary like that in terms of $10,000 increments. You really truly have to evaluate the op- the long-term yeah. opportunity and some roles, maybe you have the foresight or not, are going to help you get to that next level Dude. higher and quicker, those interim roles. And, and I'm, I'm like, listen, I'm like, I'm telling you this from experience. Listen, I want you to make more money. I get fucking compensated on how much you make, right? I'm a recruiter, <laughs> but I'm telling you this because I care about you and your career.
1: Dude, let's let's stay on this for a minute because I have this talk all the time. I Go to yeah, NYU and Columbia, classic. I think it's such an interesting topic. So, what I find, especially young folks, they get caught up on title and base salary comp. So, a mm-hmm. few things, right? Comp first off, as you know, especially if you go to big companies, everything—it's bonus stock. You have know, to keep that in consideration. Startup, is all in. different. Yeah. yeah, it's all in. Startup is a little different, but when you go to a big company, they're going to sell you on the total comp, and there's a reason those people stay there for so long. That stock starts adding up, even if it's a stock that's okay, it adds up, man. So that's one. Secondly, title, for the most part title mostly is ego and external perception yeah for your next role that might matter but for the right role and responsibilities if you can articulate it to a recruiter you're good now in some bigger companies that hierarchy doesn't matter but for the most part you can figure that out but you're right the comp though is where people get hung up and i've watched people walk away from great roles with me and without me from so five thousand dollars
0: i'm like what,
1: what are you doing right now like think about the big picture think about is this the right manager are you going to get the opportunities is this the right curve progression for you even for two three years and thirdly. Are you going to enjoy it? Are you, are you going to have fun? You cannot put a fucking value on that. For people like you and me who have been in places where you're so unhappy, making good money, nothing – it doesn't matter. And that paycheck I, comes every two weeks, and you feel like shit 80 hours in those weeks. In dude, I, those I,
0: jumped, I jumped from SiriusXM to American Express for 25 grand more, which was a lot back then for me, and I was yeah. miserable on day one, and I stuck it out for a year and a half before going back to agency world.
1: Yeah, I do. it. I mean, people just lose sight of the big picture. I know, I know you get bills, and I get that, right? And in some cases, if, if if you are in a really tough position, you got to do what you got to do. But in most cases, I know the people that are leaving. They're not like you're right, five thousand, ten thousand. You start really you do that math on that, right? You're talking about like two thousand, four thousand a month with taxes. You're talking about a few hundred bucks a paycheck. So, unless that is material, and it could be, unless it could is, be.
0: it could be, you got yeah.
1: you got, to, and it could be, right? So, there's maybe 25% of the people, the other 75%. Big picture, because that money will come, the opportunities will come. But if you start jumping, then nothing against jumping—that's the bigger trend now. Yeah. But if you start doing just for the paycheck, I tell you where you end up. You end up like a, in this wheel, in this cycle, and it will cap out. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself like, oh, I don't know what to do with my career. And then you guess what happens Then you might have to take a much bigger step back to
0: reset. And it's and it's a it happens a lot in the agency world, and I'm glad I got out it of is. that too, right? Because you're 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 an account director here, and you're going to go to uh, a, account like that's a game. They say two years in each game. agency, and you're going in a downward yeah. spiral. Um, So let's 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 keep the train moving here and let's let's get on the Clorox train. How did this come about and what's happening over there these days?
1: Yeah. So, you know, talking about the sexy brands, right? Box was sexy, right? Chipotle was sexy. Clorox pre-COVID especially was not right. So, in
0: fact, like another legacy brand household item, everyone had to buy it. Consistent sales, right? Like steady Eddie, people buying Clorox, they need it.
1: For industrial, sure. right.
0: residential, commercial, doesn't matter.
1: Good, good EPS. It's not a growth brand. It's not volatile. Very, very no risk, right? Which is not me. I'm I'm, I'm not. But I'm more like you, I'm like tattoos and beard and like, you know, I'm, I'm just not my style. So I'm like the recruiter. I didn't say the brands and fortune 500, but a GM role. And I was starting to think about shifting from the CMO path to the CEO path. And it was perfect timing. Uh, and I wasn't going back to business school. So I was like, there's not going to be many roles like this. That's going to give me that break. Um, and it's a CPG. So I'm going to learn some great things. I, I I'm not going to get in business school because I'm not going. So it's the best of both worlds, right. but it was Clorox. And at that time it was moved to DC. I had to move to DC, which, you know, I was in New York for 12 years. My wife, 15 years, met there, had our two kids there. Like it's, it's in my heart, right? Like all the people that say New York's dead, like that, don't get me started on that fucking topic. So anyway, I'm like, I'm, I'm ride or die for New York, you know? And then he was like, Hey, uh, the roles in DC and Clorox. And I'm like, mm, let's, mm. let's pump the brakes in this one. Like I, this is not, I don't want to go to a CPG. You know, I had to start, I was looking, interviewing with like Airbnb and Shake Shack and Etsy and Grubba, all the typical kind of companies yeah. based all on the my ones career. Yeah. From, especially coming from Box and Chipotle though, that makes sense for me. DoorDash and so forth. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then I met with the manager, man. He said, just have breakfast with the guy. He's coming to New York, have breakfast with him. And I'm like, you know what? I always say, never say, never I have the meeting. I always um, say, take the
0: call, take the meeting. Take the call, dude. Why always, not, take, right? always take the calls. One call changes your life.
1: Exactly. You just never know. It's like dating. It's not yeah. the same thing as dating. No no different. So I had the breakfast with him on the 7 a.m. He had the three other candidates. I know back to back to back. I was the first. And I remember I, I was in Tel Aviv doing a keynote for a company, actually, where I had the first recruiter call for an hour, and he was grilling me. That recruiter call was way harder than any of the interviews. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is interesting. And I met the my hiring manager, my boss now, who is, like, my second mentor. I've had two mentors, in my three, really, my whole career, and he's been my third. And uh, and right away I knew. I'm like, wow, I will learn a lot. He was 30 years in Clorox, but he thought like a VC. He was very good. Mm-hmm. You know, invested in companies, very much like me, uh, but not. And I'm like, dude, this guy is Awesome, and we both know managers make or break. People just forget that. Like your manager doesn't matter what level you are, your manager is a big part of your career. I'm like I can learn from this guy, and I haven't had that in a long time. To Be honest, Adam. I had, yeah, I mean five at this stage, at this stage of
0: your career, like you, you needed that kick, right? Like I always I say too, like Serena Williams, Beyonce, Tiger Woods, like all the people at the top of their careers and profession, they need that coach, they need that mentor sure. to take them to the next level.
1: For sure, any yeah, any top athlete, LeBron. I mean, LeBron
0: has people like that, right? So of he's like
1: top of the top. So, yeah, same thing. And I did it, dude. I was interviewing a couple other startups for CEO roles, like pre revenue. And, and this guy, like, he, I, he made it clear like, I'm going to move fast. And like, yeah, you're a CBG. It's going to take three months. He's like, I'm going to do this in two weeks. Two days later, I had six interviews, all video. I did have to fly to Oakland, got the offer four days later. I negotiated up on a signing bonus. I got aggressive on a couple of things. And, you know, there's a whole arc of negotiations. You know, Adam, a lot of people forget and, and they sell themselves short and they get worried. If I ask for more money, I'm going to lose my job offer. It's like, God, what are you doing? At this point, they want you. So you can ask for a lot. Yeah, it's focused. called leverage. It's
0: called leverage. Exactly. exactly.
1: Do it. And, they, and sometimes they want to do it early. I'm like, don't do it until they want you and focus on one or two things. Don't ask for everything, but you will get something. They're not going to be like, oh, right. worst case, they say No. Best case, you get it, but no one's going to pull it an off. And if they did, that's not the company you want to work for because you asked for a little bit more money. So, exactly. Um, so he and I negotiated, and I liked the process. I liked the way he was handling it. was very practical. And, like, and I, you know, you always should equate. You know, this morning, anyone, the interview process with what the company's gonna be like. If you start to see flags in that, that's probably how the company operates.
0: Pause on that for a second. That's a really important thing, and I haven't talked about it in a while. The hiring process is indicative of how a company operates. If a company puts people first and the way they manage it, the way mm-hmm. the initial recruiter has that conversation and the way they guide you through the process is so telling, spot on. Yep. And and the manager's
1: ability to influence that. If you're senior enough, like he, yeah, Clarks is a little bit slower normally, but he made that faster. He's like, I'm gonna I make it faster. It dirty, so right? it was telling. Yeah, is he going to be a champion? Is he going to say what he's going to do and do what he says? And he did, man. He he fucking backed it all, but he was very clear. He was like, hey, I want to know if I go back and ask for more on this. You're okay. not using me for leverage. Yeah, yeah. Like gonna,
0: if I go back yeah. and champion for you, I want to yeah. know that you're going to accept this offer. Otherwise, you make and, me look like a dick.
1: Yeah, don't use me for another offer. And I thought that was, and I've done this tactic a lot, too. That's what you need to do as a hiring manager. I'm like, you know what? That was a great call. I'm glad you put me on the spot. And it was work, right? I could have still fucked him. Wouldn't really that's just not a cool thing to do, yeah. I
0: mean, it's a small world, too. You don't it, want to be, it is, that guy. you <laughs> it don't, is. don't want to be, and especially at the senior levels.
1: No, no, when other opportun-
0: no, no we, we, all, we all back channel there. So, so you're at Clorox now. How long have you been at Clorox for?
1: So, a year and a half. Uh, I came on, you know, as you know, to oversee the GM of a uh, pure play C brands they'd acquired, but also, really, more importantly, to take that knowledge and learning and to build a team around it, which I've done, and then scale it for all the Clorox retail brands. Mm. I launched the Bees. Britta at the time we didn't know cleaning was gonna be so big. And then of course COVID hits and we can talk about that. But my, my goal was really to assess what the problem was that what they inherited wasn't performing well. Uh, which I did. We built a custom tech stack. I hired a great bunch of executives and managers now from Plated, uh, Amazon, Living Social, Brandless, top so startups.
0: So your so your mindset, and correct me if I'm wrong here, as far as the people that you hired was to bring in people with some of that entrepreneurial spirit mentality versus your traditional CPG B school kind of marketers. Yep. And that's what helped g- change the culture of your team and guide the trajectory of success of the product. Correct. And even po- exactly. And even positively impacting Clorox culture as well. And we do have people on our
1: team who are, come from B school and have that classic, but Clorox has that in spades. Also. Right, because so that, like, cl- that
0: classic training is important there when you're dealing with a lot of the, the academics of yes. the, the data, right? You need some of those mindsets to, to really be the true sure. analyst, right? To really be able to look at the numbers and combine it with the business insights. That's a yep. critical cut. We're not trying to undersell the B school Yep. experience as well but you have to have that mix so you're kind of yes. having this team of the best of the best
1: yeah so i got a bunch of startup kids who were like who had one thing because listen i've tried to recruit some great star people i know who respected me i respected them but they're like i don't want to go to a big company no matter what i was selling them it was like i love startups so those people yeah, they like, didn't want that they didn't
0: want they were never go.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter. That. Even, even if I'm like, I got this little island, I got my team here, we're going to be in New York, building an office, Like, but it doesn't matter, because if you work, you love Peloton, you love building and scaling, a certain, you know how it is, right? Mm-hmm. Just like 80 people, if you love it, there's no way you're leaving, but I had a bunch of people like me who'd done one foot in, one foot out, like, I like it, but I don't like this part of it. No. I was given the best of both worlds, autonomy, speed, building it, but with the resources of a big, great VC, we never had to go over a fundraising, we never had to worry about like cash flow. Yeah, um, yeah. We had those, that, right?
0: Yeah, a security yep. blanket. I love it, man. So- Covid hits. Let's jump to Covid for a minute here, right? Yeah. Like Covid hits, and all of a sudden, you know, the Windexes, the Cloroxes, the all the cleaning products are top. There's a run on everything, right? There's a the product, you know, strain on the supply chain and everything. What was that like in March when you're like, holy shit, this product has now been elevated to a name brand yeah. need, immediate need? What was that like? I mean, listen, I I wasn't
1: working yet closely with cleaning at the time, and I was really
0: focused on the health
1: and wellness. So even our brands, like immunity products, do they were spiking. We couldn't keep them in stock. Uh, so that was
0: our own right, problem. I do. It's apocalyptic buying.
1: Oh, dude. People, yeah. People wanted to need every
0: chapstick in <laughs> inventory now. <laughs> oh, I God, right. Chapstick.
1: right, right. Uh, so the cleaning team you know they they're still working hard right you probably seen our announcements for our CEO about working on the supply and demand trying to get to to meet the the all the great demand we've had so good problem to have right a shitty scenario and a very scary scenario but really good problem to have from a company standpoint so it was a lot of learning that team is working very hard but what what was really interesting from a broader perspective dude is as you know D2C e-commerce we all know it was here with Amazon and Instacart but like it hadn't hit maturity right especially in the midwest and the south right coast yeah everyone like you and me are shopping but it's still a lot of people A lot of areas who are like, don't trust getting their fruit and vegetables delivered to their door and things like that at scale. Right. Until this happened. And now, you know, what I think was going to be a three to five year more uh, timeline of like true, like mature maturation and like getting to like that critical mass is now now. Right. Like the next year, omni channel, everything, dude, because of COVID. So that's where Accelerate, my team. And the e-commerce team, which is really the sales team that focuses on selling our products on Amazon and Box. But my team, direct-to-consumer, right? That also accelerated. Now, how many companies are launching right now? And, and now, what was really neat is internally, I think everyone realized, like, wow, there's such huge potential for us. And unlike a lot of the other CPGs who are just trying to start it now, we had already started it. We've been building this for, like, You're a year and a half. So, we're, yeah, we're already, like, months away from launching a bunch well, of new brands. So...
0: Yeah. What was what was what was the you know the the top innovation, whether it be a process or a product or a mindset that came out of COVID over the last eight months on your team? Speed.
1: Like my it's team speed. always moved fast, but it was speed. It was cutting down the yeah. priorities, even though we had like a, a good amount, like a good like short list. Yeah. Cut it down even further. Like these three things, and just make decisions quicker and. Cut me out of meetings, right? Don't, don't if, let me be a bottleneck. Like, yeah. just, just make a fucking that's, call. That's, that's good that's,
0: management. That's, that's, go that's strong it. management here. So I want to bring it home here. Um, When you interview people on your team, is there is there one or two go-to questions that you always ask them? Why do you ask them? Uh,
1: there's three things I look for, and then I back my way into it, and I adjust based on the person. So I look for versatility, Someone who can just do different things because if shit hits a fan or things change our business or our economy or market, I need you to know that you can't just be like, I only do this job, right? That's not how it works. Yeah, you can't right? have
0: your your blinders on. Yep.
1: No, nah, man, you gotta be able to be versatile, open-minded to learning new things. Just like a startup curiosity. I, I don't want yes, men and women. inquisitiveness. Inquis- inquis- inquis-
0: being inquisitive is my number one skill oh. trait that I look for.
1: Ask questions, right? Push back, challenge me, but don't be a dick about it. So my third one's <laughs> empathy, right? Be respectful. If you're going to push back, you don't have to have, listen, people think a nice culture is good. Nice culture is bad because that's passive aggressive. People don't want to get into it. Um, I'd rather work at a hedge fund or at least where I'm getting a railroad and run over. At least I see it coming. So I'd actually argue being passive aggressive and being nice culture is the worst thing. And I've learned that from some companies, I won't say names, that I worked at. So I ask for empathy. So the three things I look for are those three. And then I'll get, I'll back my way into like problems. I never ask hard skills to do it unless it's a direct report of mine. And now I have my exec team, so I'm I'm assuming that they have. They've already flushed that out. Right? Someone, if someone's yeah.
0: getting to you at this point, you know that they're qualified to do the job on paper. Absolutely. Now I need to know who they are, right? You need to I know I who this assholes. person is. Yeah, yeah.
1: and I, am I going to no be a foxhole with you, right? Yeah, if it's sixty of us in a foxhole on Slack late night when stressed, I want to know you're going to deal with the problem head on and not be past aggressive, not Slack emoji some some weird shit, not talk shit behind people, <laughs> back, not screenshot pass combos. Oh, it's the worst. It Oh, dude, like the, don't end do that of the shit,
0: screenshot, right? the screenshots, another oh. shitty thing. Camera, phone, oh,
1: screenshots, all that shit, all that shit. So like for me, I interview everyone intern to VP, And now that I have my core team, my direct reports, I never interview hard skills. I'm always about the person, yeah. the people. So one question I asked, for instance, is like, if you could be a God uh, or God, whatever you believe in, what would be the first thing you would do? be anything and at, there's no right answer there's no wrong answer right, but you really want to see how
0: they have the mind the, the how they process. break down the problem yeah. and do
1: they think about themselves or the world and why and if you think about yourself that's fine too i'm just curious on why and why you chose that um so that's just a question i throw at sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll throw out a real scenario i'm like hey uh you know how would you deal with this something that happened recently so real behavioral right?
0: based interview type question
1: yeah to get to how they respond but i like to throw them off too so like i always ask them things like Hey, what's the biggest deal breaker uh, when it comes to a culture? Because everyone said, like, "What do you look for in a culture?" I say, "What's the thing that you hate the most?" And what I found is when you get people talking about things they don't like, the first question is always like, "Oh, I don't like when you know uh, something's just you know superficial." Right. But I dig there, and then once you get people start talking about any kind of pet peeves or things they don't like, usually they open up, and then I get to the real answer. I'm like, Ah, okay. This is the thing that you always stroke done. the
0: beard though when you go, aha. I <laughs> yes, all right, gotcha. I do,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do probably do more than my wife would like. That's a good but, one.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. So let, let's bring it home here. This has been an awesome conversation, and literally it's oh, just man. been chock full of freaking knowledge nuggets and bombs here.
1: And you talk faster than I do, and I, that's rare. But
0: yeah, Yorker. I'm a jive talking <laughs> motherfucker. Um, what does the word authentic mean to you, Jax? Just
1: Being real, no matter what, what's happening, in fact, being real when it's gonna, you're gonna suffer for it, whether it's professionally or personally, you know what I mean? Like if you can be real when, not when it's fun to be real, when everyone else is, it's like when you have to do the thing that no one else is doing, it's going to make you look bad, put you in a tough position, impact you negatively. That's fucking authentic, man.
0: Yeah. What's the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day?
1: I didn't receive it uh, directly, um, but Kobe—I'm a big Kobe fan—and when, when he passed, really hit me hard for a lot of reasons. But uh, and less about even on the basketball court, more everything else behind. Yeah. Um, he always said, not to me, but to everyone: "Be better, right? Every day, the next day, be better than you were the, the day before." And that—that that is not a sports thing; that is a life thing. Be better, dad. Be a better, husband, partner, friend, colleague, citizen. Um, and that goes back to being authentic. If I can just be better, just a little bit better. Um, I'm good, man. I will feel really
0: good. I lo- I love it, man. What would you say is your is your superpower? What do you do better than almost anyone on this planet that makes you who you are?
1: I surround myself with people with better superpowers than me.
0: I love that. That's a that's a that's a great freaking answer. And you know, we've been talking a lot. You know, it's October second, and and I've been having this conversation, the same question for eight months. I can't believe this during the during the pandemic there's been a lot of silver linings a lot of good things have happened because i want to end the show on a positive note like tell me something good here jax leave us with a personal silver lining and a professional silver lining
1: oh my personal silver lining is every day i wake up to the two most beautiful humans uh, i've ever met and encountered my two daughters my my five-year-old sophie and my 16-month-old adley the genuine you know how it is with kids in the eyes people say this but until you have them and you see them like the innocence, the learning, the just the love they have for each other and for us, like dude, there's nothing like it. So no matter what happens, man, I could be unemployed and even for homeless, God forbid, I have them. As long as I can take care of them and give them something better than I had. It's not just financial. It's everything. Dude, like that, that is my personal silver lining, period. Professional silver lining, it's not that different, dude. It's, I, I, I like people, if you can tell. Like, so I will always value people over anything else. I always so truly believe the best productivity, the best work gets done with people. It's not bullshit, man. Culture, culture is not beer ponds and free lunch. That shit is output tactics. You can work in a fucking prison with 10 people and not see the light of day, but you have great people around you with the same mindset. It doesn't mean, that they're the same as yours and mine, or you could have different values and have the same people like that with you. That's okay. Whatever those values are that you care about being around people like that, getting the energy. And and for me, it's about being real genuine, just being direct, honest, but also empathetic, man. Like we can accomplish anything. I could sell widgets. I can go hopefully find a cure for something or, or sell, you know, cleaning products and wellness products. And it won't matter. It's, it's the people, man. So similar to my daughters, it's really just, I want to be around people. That's why this has been tough being even though I spend more time with my family, I miss that yeah. just social piece with Yeah, people, we'll get back you know? there. People
0: want people want to get back to work. That's beautiful. And last but not least, right? Listen, not not, not every day is 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 amazing, right? We you have some rough days. Huh. You're 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 at the top, man. And sometimes you have to make some tough decisions. Sometimes you have to let people go and and not all days are are rosy. Um and you got to reach down deep inside like those dark points in your life and your career and everything. And you got to find that inner tenacity to pull yourself forward. And on the flip side of that, what we were just talking about when you're so grateful for everything that you have in your life, your kids, your family, everything that you accomplish and surround yourself with Jax, what is your North star? What is your compass?
1: Honestly, man, it's my gut. It's if I could stand on the other side, my deathbed or whatever, and say like, you know what? When that shit was hitting the fan or I have the rough, tough decisions or things that maybe I regret later, like, can I stand behind the reasoning and why I did it? And, and was I on the right side of history? And Sometimes I'm not, right? But when in doubt, can I just look at this 20 years from now and be like, this is the right thing. And sometimes the right thing could hurt someone, right? It could be tough for someone, um, but this is the right thing with all things being equal, all things considered, right? Cause sometimes you have to make a decision that might be tough for one person, but ultimately it's gonna be better for 20 people. And if I don't make this decision now, all 21 people could be impacted. If that makes sense, right? And, and it's things like that, that I have to weigh. And, I just do my best to, to okay, and if I'm going to make a tough decision, Adam, let me at least, you don't have to be vicious about it either, right? Like I've gotten a lot of people I've, I've laid off. I've gotten at least four of them jobs or try to be a reference for them. So of course. people assume like it's just one or the other. It's not, it's not a, bi, a bipolar decision. It's like, hey, I can, yes, I have to make a hard decision, but I can also be a really good person and do everything I can to help this person in whatever means it's possible to get that new job or whatever. So to me, it's that, right? It's not just a decision. It's like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing everything I can? Am I overextending myself? Um, which really shouldn't be much of a question. It's like, I'm going to do what I can to help people. Um, so for
0: me, that's kind of my North Star. Hello, man. Jax, thanks for spending some time with us Thank today. you, brother. It was a good time, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Where, could, where could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Uh, LinkedIn and Twitter,
1: man. I'm pretty active more on LinkedIn than Twitter. Um, I'm not able to add people right now. I'm having some issues with the connection limits, which sucks. Uh, so I'm working on that. I got to make some updates. But LinkedIn and Twitter, I check often.
0: That's awesome, man. Thank you. Uh, and everybody joining us today, I, I really hope that you learned from this conversation. It was awesome. I love talking to folks like Jax, who just have such an incredible career and, and, and so much to share. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it, subscribe, leave a review, ranking, help this shit, help this show blow up. That's what we need here. You know where to find us on the podcast.com, all the social media channels. Remember, wash your hands, stay six feet apart, look out for each other and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. To join the conversation, search The PauseCast on LinkedIn and to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.